0: Erev Tov, we continue uh, the introduction to the Meirah Everyone's welcome to join. We just, we're in the middle of an article that we started from Rav Moshe Becker about trying to figure out what is the point of the Meirah and people have gone to extreme positions on this. And he is is suggesting that we try to keep him to what he really was saying and what his, wait, what is going on? I don't know what is going on here. That was very strange. Okay, I don't know if everybody saw that and those who are listening didn't hear any of it. Okay, but we're in the middle of a a thought. So, uh, and if you want, um, I could send the article out um, tonight and people can uh, read it again. So we're in the middle of this article, and it says, perhaps most telling in this respect is Rambam's statement in chapter 23, where he exhorts the reader to carefully consider all sides of the discussion. After delivering a pep talk about not being swayed by one's upbringing or preconceived notions, then Rambam insists that one must accept creation ex nihilo, as it provides the foundation for the Torah. So what happened to the carefully considered rational analysis that Rambam always advocates? What was the meaning of his encouragement that one be aware of their prior conceptions? Okay, so what's going on? So clearly Rambam is presenting a theological position that he believed to be highly important. Creation ex nihilo is a concept validating God's free will. Rambam is not dealing with the scientific question of the origins of the world. As far as Ramav is concerned, there are no two sides whose evidence must be examined in ways in this thing. In other areas, you can, but not in this one. It's straight out. To maintain God's role as the giver of the Torah, it's necessary to believe in creation ex nihilo as an expression of God's freedom to act as he wishes. Encouraging his reader to carefully consider the options is not an admission that two sides, in fact, exist, rather a reminder of the theological consequences of belief in eternity. So you got to consider it, but you got to realize what you're considering. I believe that this reading can be extended to other parts of Moradavuchim as well. Throughout Moradavuchim, topics are treated in rational, logical fashion, usually following Aristotelian reasoning. Now, again, another thing about Aristotelian reasoning, a lot of it is just his honest analysis of reality. <laughs> and certain things, you know, if something has been true but nobody noticed it and somebody points it out to us, is that guy making the chiddish? Or he's just pointing out that observation shows that this is true. And if you have a very logical mind, you can come to very logical deductions which has nothing to do with uh, your philosophical ideas. So that's part of that. So, so he treats them in a logical fashion. However, in so many crucial areas, Rambam's conclusion departs from Aristotle's. It's easy to confuse and wonder how it is that a work on philosophy winds up with such unphilosophical conclusions. When the author appears to have been treating Aristotelian logic so seriously, this confusion lay at the root of the creative interpretation of Mor which has abounded over the centuries. However, using creation as our model, we see that in fact Rambam's only goal is to teach us the Torah position on these complex matters. In the chapters on creation, this can be seen very clearly as shown earlier, In other areas, perhaps the point is more subtly made. Evidently, while the methodology and reasoning was borrowed from Greek sources, primarily Aristotle, the substance of Rambam's statements is derived from the Torah alone. Furthermore, there's no attempt on Rambam's part to justify or reconcile the Torah views with those of Aristotle. Aristotelian philosophy, science, and logic all provide the context and logical framework for Rambam's discussion, but they're not the actual subject matter of Mordevukum. He'll use some of the logic. It's logic, it's logic. It's a certain Chakmabaglaim. You can use it, but we're not trying to, to bend the Torah into what Aristotle's saying. Understood in this vein, Mardevukham certainly bears relevance today as much as in Rambam's generation. Rambam, the teacher and codifier who labored his entire life to clarify and categorize many parts of the Torah is instructing the reader of Mora in some of the most difficult aspects of Jewish thought, the secrets of Torah, as it were. The language of rationality in Rambam's time was the science of Aristotle, and Rambam made his presentation in that language. The theological essence of Mora holds fast, unaffected by shifts in the world of science. The point is perhaps put forth best by Yitzhak Cook, the first chief rabbi, in a beautiful essay written as a counterpoint to the claims of a Yavitz that Moranavukim was an exception to the generally high quality of Rambam's works. He's responding to that. Ralph Cook writes that this approach, similarly, is to, is to the critiques of Rambam in his own time, is entirely mistaken. Ralph Cook stresses that Aristotelian content. What's going on over here? Of Mora Nevuchim, Where am I now? Uh, yeah, I yeah. yeah, Rav Kook stressed that the of is not its primary feature or function. According to Rav Cook, only the positions and methods of Aristotle, which Rambam felt were in accordance with the Torah view, were included in Mora Nevuchim. As such, the Aristotelian elements underwent a type of purification at the hands of the Rambam. Rav Cook insists that Murnovuchin is purely a work presenting the fundamentals of Torah belief, and Aristotelian thought was only included where it complemented those beliefs and suited Rambam's purpose. This approach would also serve to shed light on Rambam's introduction. As noted above, Rambam's statement that his purpose in Norum Nevuchin is to explain some difficult terms in the Torah and point out which passages are to be allegorized appears to fall short of describing the work. Written by anyone other than the author, it may very well be considered an affront. However, if we understand that in truth the essential core content of Moravuchim is in the main points Ramba makes about God and the Torah, and Aristotelian science is a methodological device, the description makes perfect sense. Not that Moravuchim serves a minor purpose. The topics and passages dealt with are highly complex and the implications of allegorizing the Torah are always serious. It was therefore necessary that a work be carefully composed to convey these interpretations in a sensitive manner. Rambam teaches us another subtle yet important point alongside the fundamental tenets of Torah expresses. Making use of the tools available to present and clarify Torah matters is not something to be looked down upon even if these tools come from sources alien and contradictory to Torah. Instead of discrediting Rambam for using foreign resources in *Mora and at worst, or writing it off as absolute at best, we should rather give a more careful reading of the work. Such a reading should allow us to pick out the points which Rambam considered fundamental components of belief in God and Torah. We would then do well to apply those tools which Rambam considered Uh, here we go again apply those tools which are available and relevant to us in understanding developing Rambam's statements further such a study would not be anachronistic and disloyal to Rambam on the contrary I believe this would be a true application of Rambam's methods and loyal to the essence of his teaching Rav Tzadok HaKohen (laughs) we're going real Hasidic, writes in many places that Torah Shebaal Peh is the utilization of man's intellect to develop and understand the Torah given by God. The human creative aspect is an essential part of the process of Torah study. Rav Tzadok specifically writes concerning Greek philosophy that it was the external to the oral Torah based on the principle of zel umased, this as opposed to this, which Rav Tzadok often refers to. While it is manifest that Rambam did not express himself in such a manner, I believe that the idea is apparent in Morinavuchim. Rambam did not shy away from unveiling himself of whatever tools he needed to teach Torah, and he therefore incorporated Aristotelian logic into Morinavuchim. Having integrated the positive value of that foreign source of knowledge, expressing himself in philosophical language did not appear to Rambam to be contradictory to the autonomy of the Torah as the ultimate source of truth. Perhaps the most powerful message that Rambam taught us the very timelessness of the issues. The tension between the axioms and basic tenets of the revelatory truth we learn in the Torah do not always accord easily with our rational inclinations. This difficulty is true at all times, albeit to varying degrees. The coexistence in Marnevichim of the secrets of the Torah and the philosophical language these secrets are presented in can be viewed in two ways. On the one hand, we, can, we see an example of a successful meeting between the ultimate source of truth, the Torah, and rational human thought. Yet at the same time, the very confusion and difficulty this meeting led to shows how tenuous the coexistence can be. I believe the Rambam intended that both elements be discerned. If there's a secret message tomorrow in Wuchim, it is that as Torah students, human beings, we are constantly going to be faced with this tension. The conflict between our physical world and a higher world at times seem resolvable, and other times a chasm too great to bridge. Teaching us to deal with the struggle is one of the underlying purposes of Moronavuchim. A complete and satisfying resolution is not necessarily possible. We must have the tools to face the challenge, and this is the secret message of Moronavuchim. In this respect, scholars such as Strauss and Pines were in line with the message of Moronavuchim. Pines wrote the English translation. Far out as their conclusions may be, The fact that 800 years after Rambam's life, the issues are still fresh and relevant is itself a measure of Rambam's success. Earlier I observed that while Aristotelian science may have been perceived as a serious threat to the autonomy and authority of the Torah at one point, we're no longer contending with this struggle. Realizing this should make it that much easier to incorporate the invaluable Torah content of Mernavuchim into our contemporary Torah consciousness, what has indeed become... Something of a struggle today is a rational approach to Torah. This challenge invites the extremes of either accepting that which is written because of who wrote it, or rejecting it because of a perceived foreign element. It's important to realize that Mardavuchim certainly cannot be learned in such a way. Now that we are no longer faced with the threat of Aristotle, Torah students can give Vuchim a second chance. Studying Marnavuchim with this attitude should allow us to free ourselves and Marnavuchim from the questions of the Middle Ages. The main difficulties I mentioned were, first, if we view Marnavuchim as an attempted reconciliation between Torah truth and the truths of Aristotelian science, we are pressed to see this resolution played out, as none of the main points of contention are in fact reconciled. Second and more problematic for a Torah student is the question of how we are to relate to work that is based on a system of thought that is not only secular but also obsolete. I suggested that a careful examination of the section devoted to the creation versus the eternity question shows that Rambam is unapologetically presenting a Torah message, that of God's free world. An honest and careful application of this method to the rest of Moritavuchim should give us access to the secrets of Moritavuchim, its pure Torah message. Raman was using the tools of his day. And so Murray took on Aristotelian form. Our role as loyal students is to take the content and apply ourselves to it with our tools, our own sensibilities and awareness and paradigms of our time. Okay. So that's a pretty heavy article. I would say it's pretty heavy. But uh, and that's I think I think it's the most balanced approach that we can go with. Some ideas of... Uh, may be <coughs> a bit foreign to us. I have a comment, However, we're, we're going to leave it at that and start the for now. But first, we'll have Mark's comment. I just want to point out, it's not as if Aristotle and Rumble were contemporaries. Aristotle had been established for 15 centuries, so it's it's, it's not like he was yeah, but it was the accepted it, truth at that time. 15, okay, I don't at know. That time, one, at one, that so time, at that time, still about, accepted. I know, but he was 350 BC. He, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Just, I'm just saying they were contemporaries. It's like 15th century. No, I'm not, not suggesting they were contemporaries, yeah. but Aristotle's way of it's looking of the at science. the world was accepted at that way, and there's a lot of things that Aristotle said were MS and are still ems. Not everything, obviously. A lot of ideas are wrong. Yeah, Galileo disproved. Disproved. disproved Yes, a lot of, but certain aspects of uh, scientific observation and thought real and if the Rambam wanted to explain an idea he'll use an idea that people were familiar with and it was as long as it's consistent with presenting the way he's explained the Torah message but wherever there's an irresolvable (laughs) conflict he says forget it no no Aristotle finished so the fact that he uses it doesn't mean he's buying into everything Aristotle said he's just using the meat just like we would now let's say discovery classes will use some of the NASA research right, to try to prove certain aspects they're not going to believe in everything that NASA says, you know what I'm saying so what you have, what's reasonable he'll use it, if he feels it's something that can help explain things he'll explain things so Things that and there's a lot of philosophical issues some things he just says this is what the Torah says, finish, there's no more philosophy, we're just accepting it and where it does come into play he uses it it's all very general. We have to get into the actual details to appreciate these ideas more. So is it similar? Remember two years ago when we were doing all the astronomy stuff, in the room specifically the said, Astronomy. You're talking about the intercalation of the moon. That's not philosophy. No, that's not philosophy. But it's science. But it's science. It's okay to use the Greek wisdom. Yes, so yes, good. exactly. Doing the same thing. Exactly, math. Algebra <laughs> No, but it's also this too. He's he going to use exactly. math also here, okay. but certain things are just true Right and, and, the, theory. Fact, theory. and the fact and the fact that everybody knows that Aristotle said it And they may know Aristotle better than Torah. So he'll use some of that Aristotle had some clear-headed thinking about reality well, he had his approaches, And his approaches and, and many of them were correct so Raman will use some of the correct ones. And I now right. those who want to, there's a lot of people who want to say that, oh, Ram was just a rationalist and he didn't believe it. That's why he had the whole problem with the letter of uh, Tresa Mason. Mm-hmm. He had to write this whole letter to Triessa Mason. People didn't believe that he believed in that kind of stuff. Because that's not rational and scientific. It's hard to believe that, you know. I, I, because they, listen, they picked and chose. A hundred percent. Well, they burnt, but, they burnt more than Bohem yeah okay they, they because like what, why because people who yeah. wanted to use it for their own evil designs use it for their own evil designs so many of the established rabbis said let's just get rid of it and not have to deal with it but it's throwing the baby with the bath water maybe they felt at that time it would be a good thing to do in retrospect clearly it wasn't No. Well, because Rebbe but... understood the mistake when all the they wagon loads Europe, of, of, of the Talmud got burnt so it was not <laughs> He's doing something. So have them. good debate with it, and not be worried that people are taking it to the wrong place. There's a lot of secular, goyish people, uh, priests, all quote the Rambam and use it in a way that's not proper. Doesn't mean to say the Rambam's work was not a good work, and that's how so we have do to the look at it. with Isaiah. Doesn't mean Isaiah wasn't. A Yeah, that's right they're going to say the Messiah comes from Isaiah whatever 51 whatever so we're going to stop quoting Yishaya yeah Yeah. how does this connect to the mitzvah about not learning uh, other philosophies or just leaving it to the leaders to learn philosophies is there a mitzvah that we shouldn't be learning uh, other philosophies if it's philosophies that are contrary to Torah Mm -hmm. we don't learn philosophies that are contrary we should not be studying Christianity you know, unless you're on a bezdin, and you have to be able to tell if somebody is indeed worshiping that idol worship or not, right? You have to remember one very important thing: the Rambam's mind was incredible. You got it's like. I have no way of describing it. Well, how else can you he do? Uh, you know, know Yachazaka. He did it yeah. in a cave without even any source. It's like his it, it incredible genius—not just memory, but the mind and well, methodology all, uh, and yeah. methodology everything. Analogies. So he could hold on to it, all that stuff. You know, the famous word, i don't remember if the Brisker rub said I don't remember, but they, the famous question was asked: How come you, the Russian shiwas are telling us not to go to university? when Lubavitcher Cherebi went to university, Fiyashabir the- Salamadji yes, went, went to university, university. Rav Huttner went to university, how could you tell us not to go to university? So the answer they give is this following with the following motion. Let's say you have a huge, huge um, mansion. 50 room mansion. Uh, a mansion needs a toilet. Oh, sure, yes. So. So You don't exactly put the toilet by the front door, I mean like right in the hallway. You find a little corner over there, put the toilet over there, you close the door, the toilet stinks, but the rest of the house is fine. But if you only have one room for the house, you don't put the toilet in the room. You put it out in the backyard. You said secular learning is like a toilet. So if you're the Rambam, if you're a Biosheber Soloveitchik, if you're Lubavitcher Rebbe, your mind has 50 room mansions. So it's room to put a toilet somewhere. It won't affect it too much. But if you're a regular guy, you only got one room in your brain. And if university is there, you're putting the toilet right in the middle. And therefore you're not able to handle it. So I'm not, I'm not saying that everything in the secular world is a toilet but there, are, there is plenty of toilet in it. There's some emmes. I'm not saying there's some emmes, but there's a lot of toilet over there. So the Rambam had such a mind that he could he hear everything about Aristotle, and I'm sure there were a lot of things he totally disagreed with Aristotle. It's not gonna affect him. He has such a brilliant mind. He knows this is the nonsense, and this makes sense, and this I can apply and use that scientific wisdom, that is MS scientific wisdom, and apply it to, to my understanding of certain difficult areas in, in the Gemara. Just like no one's gonna suggest we shouldn't learn math. If you don't know math, there's certain Gemaras you can't know, finish. Sure. Oh, we shouldn't learn math, sure. because Goyim do math. <laughs> that's, if the Goyim have a way for us to understand math in a simpler way, or as so Ramam said, it, if there's a way for us to calculate things, that, that's not a question of uh, beliefs. We don't believe that the stars are God's just believe there's ways of to count them and to understand where they're at. So that is permitted. Okay. Anyway, I only got about two, three minutes. So I'm just going to introduce I I, I bought a ton of sperm about uh, the Rambam and there's other ones I couldn't uh, get a hold of. And uh, I just want to maybe just, the, and this Safer is the last one that just came out like last month which I got in Lakewood, it's called Mura Hanavuchim Larambam. very original idea. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and it's, uh, put, it was Mamish, Mamish. It came out Tufshin Pei Gimel from B'nai Brak. It's, uh, and it's based on the Targum of Shmuel Ibn Tibon. And it's just with all these, all these extra additions, etc., etc., and. Just to mention, just a couple points that, uh, see, and I'm gonna to have to keep flipping between one book and another because what one Sefer has, the other one doesn't, and I'm trying to present it to you I without all the... Book's book, book, and so, and the then Rambam. this one, this one is the Rambam from Mossad Cook yeah. and we'll get to the translation. So just to quickly review, the Rambam is a machlok is when the Rambam was born in 1135 or 1138. There's different sources about that. Okay. Now, when he wrote the Marnevuchim as the last safer, and he put out in 1189, so when he was either 64 or 61, and that was the last one he put out, although he did write later a geras chiyas a few other letters that he wrote to people, but the main work that he did was finished by 1189. Now the question is, he wrote it in Arabic, so that helped the people in those days, and they understood probably very clearly what he wrote. Then come the translations. I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna bore you with tons of history on this, just to know. Well, you're gonna be looking in a minute, because when we uh, oh, wow, I already lost it. Eh? Yeah, okay. Uh, I've had it in the Sefiria. Sephira is going to use one English translation. Uh, but the first uh, time it was translated into Hebrew was in 1225. And uh, that was from Rabbi Yehuda ben Shlomo al-Kharizi. Now, and that was not as well accepted. The second one was by Rabbi Shmuel ibn Tibor okay and he was the father of a great translator and that was done in conjunction with the Rambam's approval. In other words he he translated into Hebrew and the Rambam said it's a good translation. So most of the translations are what we call the Ibon Tibon translation and you have to realize the whole style of Arabic is different than Hebrew. So, So you're translating like the way the sentence structure things it's told. So it's going to obviously lose something in the translation. Now, there's been many other ones, and a more recent one is this one that Mosadarov Cook put out, and that was put out in, uh, I think, 1970 something or so by Raviosev. And I'm not pronouncing it correctly because he was born in a Sparty place, but the Hebrew way it's called it's called Kapach although well, that's not how you pronounce his last name and he died I think in the year 2000 so this is the most recent one and then there's many Meforshim who commented on the Rambam many and the ones that you see are the ones who are defending the Rambam in their explanations and those commentaries are ranging in times from the 1300s, 1400s 1500s, 1600s etc etc so what I plan so the Hebrew text that most people use is the Kapach one. Although this one is gonna I'm sorry, the one is Ibn Tbone, while the this Kapach one is the most modern one. And then there's a couple English translations that the ones that people say are the best is the one by this fellow by the name of Pines, which you can't get free online, but there's one from Friedlander that was from the nineteen hundreds. So when we're gonna when we're gonna use a text for to follow we're gonna use that Freelander one although I'm not vouching for its perfect English translation and and what I'm gonna be using they have whole, an original it could copy be but what I'm gonna use and this right. safer has two versions of the Moranavukhim it has the Moranavukhim with five of the much earlier commentaries the and back. then in the back. It goes again and why I like this one because this one has the Mordavuchim with the dots and the commentary of, uh, again, one of the medieval scholars who uh, put in, who translated it and they put in a few, Rav Moshe ben Shlomo Misalerno, who is one of the medieval scholars and they put it in with the dots. And they put in a little bit of Hebrew explanation to make it flow. And then this latest commentary that came out just now takes the best selections from the earlier commentaries. Wow. So that's where I'm going to be following this text. So, although you're going to be looking at an English Hebrew, I'm going to be working with this and from time to time sharing with you other things. And it's going to be a very challenging study and, but for people who have learned Ramah for 18 years we're ready for that challenge that yeah one last question Sefer Chiyuch took us under a year um, Sefer Mitzvah Sefer Mitzvah was under a year Mishnah Torah was like 14 years yeah do you have any idea at least two years Minimum. this is a complicated stuff. this is three this is three uh, sections mm-hmm. and between all three it's about 150 chapters and some ideas are not really hard but a lot are very hard so, I have no idea. I've never learned it before. I've learned bits and pieces of it, but uh, there really is no, quote-unquote, art scroll version of Marnabuch. <laughs> no. <laughs> of it, it, you just don't have that. But well, you don't hear a lot of people learning. And you don't I hear but it. But although Rabbi Lopiansky gives a, gives a share on it, I think Rabbi Korupkin also gives a share uh, uh, by it. I still think he still does, and it's on it, an OU see. website. So we'll join those ranks and tomorrow we'll start the opening letter that he writes to a student that forms the introduction. So we'll actually get into it tomorrow, basically. Okay. Do does it mean perplexed? Confused. Confused. Okay. Con- well, is perplexed confused. Yeah, same yeah thing? i just wonder what the actual word is. And we'll see, and we'll see exactly why it is called that tomorrow. When he write it starts as a letter to a student that he had. And that's what we're gonna start it tomorrow. Okay. Okay. ¡Excelente!